This is the Unity Community of Central Oregon podcast. In our culture, we have the teaching of original sin, and many of us were raised in faith traditions that promoted that idea of original sin. Some of us were not raised in those traditions, but we're still drinking the water of America. And, and the United States is in the cultural belief system of a form of Christianity that believes in original sin. And so whether you grew up in one of those churches and got it really hammered in, or you just were walking around doing your life in the United States, you have received this message that from the gate there is something wrong with you. And that's not truth. And all we have to do is look at a baby like this. And there's nothing in us that can say, sinner. <laughs> you know, even when the baby is making a fuss, it, our, our thoughts don't go to sinner. Our thoughts might go to, oh my God, is he ever going to settle down? <laughs> but, you know, but, but not sin. Sin means doing it wrong. You missed the shot. It's an old archery term in, 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 from England. But so how did, how did we get on this course? So I want to talk about a little bit of the history of how the idea of original sin even came about and then come around to what difference does that make for us and how can we live it differently? So first of all, we have to go back to the Bible because in the Bible, is the story of Adam and Eve. And the Bible is, I love to read and talk about the Bible because it's so different than what I grew up hearing about, which was a very literal interpretation of the Bible. In the Bible, there's the story of Adam and Eve in the garden. And just the cliff notes of it, for if there's anybody who could possibly have missed this one. Um, Adam and Eve are created by God. They're great friends. They're walking around, BFFs. And the next thing that happens, they wander over to the orchard, and there's a tree, the one tree out of the many trees in the garden that God has said, don't eat the fruit of that one. It's the tree of good and evil. And Eve discovers that there's a, a snake in the garden on that tree. And the snake is saying, oh, God doesn't want you to eat it because he knows that if you eat of this tree, you will be like God's. You should eat it. And so Eve is tempted and she turns to Adam. What do you think? I think we should eat it. And Adam says, all right. And so they eat it. And the next thing you know, they notice they're naked. And they got to do something about that, and they cover themselves with fig leaves. And God finds out where they are, 
they have somehow managed to hide from God or think they can. And God says, oh, you ate from the tree. And they're, you know, like the kids with the cookie smeared all over their face who were shocked that the parent figured out that they stole a cookie. And, and how did you know? And he says, you ate from the tree, you're out of here. They, and he kicks them out of the garden and puts an angel up with flaming swords to make sure they never come back. So, <laughs> so that's the story, but it's mythology, not history. And it is not theological truth. So if we look at that story, it is an attempt by primitive people in prehistory, pre-science times to make sense of the suffering in the world. And so they make up a story trying to explain it. Just like every culture in the world has made up stories trying to explain things that they don't understand. And because it's mythology, it doesn't have like, and so it means this. It's sacred story. It has all kinds of possibilities to it. So when you look at it, there's this wonderful book by Marcus Borg, reading the Bible again for the first time. And it's such a good book on getting a different perspective on the Bible. If this is something that you're interested in, I highly recommend this book. Whenever I teach classes on the Bible, this is always one of them. So one way to think about this, he talks about there's four different ways of interpreting the sin of eating the apple, or actually eating the fruit. It doesn't even say it was an apple. Poor apple's got a bad rap for that. <laughs> um, so one is, it's a primal act of disobedience. Dad said, don't do it, and we did it. Yeah, you always do the exact opposite of what Dad says, <laughs> right? That's how it, we roll when we're little. And so that's one possibility, that it's disobedience. Another possibility is it's an act of hubris. That's a Greek term that means thinking you're above your station. So they're humans, and this will give them the ability to act like gods. So, you know, there are times hubris is a real thing, and people do things that are not humble. They're not connected to the earth. They're not connected to other people. And they make choices that cause problems. So I'm not saying hubris isn't a thing, but we get this idea coming in here that there's something about us, that we're acting a little too big for our britches, right? And we shouldn't be doing that. Just aim a little lower. Okay, see how this is influencing us? The primal act as sloth and not that cute little jungle animal, but laziness. And in the sense of when something happens, 
we want to blame it on somebody else rather than take responsibility. We're a little bit too lazy to say, oh, yeah, actually, I can see how that was me. Let's just blame it on the snake who made me do it. I'm not responsible for that because somebody else made me mad. Okay? And then the fourth one is the primal act as at the birth of consciousness. So think about it. When we're born, before we're born, we're in a state of unity. We're one with the mother. We don't know there's a difference. And somewhere along the line, there is a birth of consciousness, of separate agency. And we begin to have words like mine. <laughs> we, we learn how to say no, because we realize that, wait, I'm my own person. And it's, it isn't like a 180 where suddenly we realize it. It's a growing discovery. And so you could think about the, what's called the fall, but not in the Bible. That's, that comes way later. You could think about that as a growing awareness that human, humanity is, is its own thing. Yes, we come from the divine that is all that there is, and yet we're somehow our own thing with agency. We can choose to act in accordance with the light that we are or not. And most of us are seasoned in both, right? Because that's what consciousness is. If we only, only ever acted from the light, what would be the point of the human experience? We come in here to explore the contrasts and to learn how more and more to choose the light that we are. But we learn it by choosing the not light and discovering the consequences of that. So when we're little, we get in trouble for it. As we get older, we have our own innate system of remorse that it's like, oh, that didn't feel good. You know, I, I tattled on that kid and that kid got in trouble and now that kid is sad and that was my fault. I did that. I remember one time I was six and I was on the teeter-totter and the kid I was playing with wanted to get off and I, I didn't want to. I wanted the, the game to keep going, and so I didn't slow down, and, but she had already started going off. She ended up breaking her leg. And oh my gosh, it was 20 years later before this surfaced in therapy because I had, <laughs> I had buried it so deeply, the shame and, and the fault, and, and, you know, and I had made it worse because even in the moment, Um, this was my best friend at the time, and I came and visited her once, and the remorse was so bad that I couldn't stand it, so I spent the summer playing with her sister <laughs> and not visiting her. <laughs> so, yeah, that was a big one for me. But it was, all, it was all wrapped in shame, and it, 
you know, I'm not even sure by the time I made my first confession six months later, I don't think I mentioned that because it was already stuffed so deeply, which is interesting just in terms of when people gain that sense of right and wrong. So either I was advanced and already had it at six and a <laughs> half, or it happens earlier than the psychologists say, but at any rate, it's a natural part of consciousness to recognize that we are separate from all in one way, that we have agency, and that there, there are consequences to the choices that we make. So in this story, we're hearing all about that. So that's part of one of where we get the idea that there's something wrong with us. Part two comes along like 500 years, well, no more than that, because that didn't happen with the time of Christ. So it's, you know, a millennium later, in the year around the 500s um, after Christ. So what happens then is there's a lot, the church has become established. It's now the Church of Rome. And the church is calling a lot of the shots, but they are not all in agreement. So in the year 300, they've had a big council, the Council of Nicaea. Some of you grew up hearing of the Nicaean Creed, which was a laundry list of what we believe in this religion, whichever one you're part of that talked about the Nicene Creed. That came about because there were all of these sects. As you can imagine, Jesus is walking around. He's charismatic. He does all these things. He's wonderful. Nothing gets written down, but people are following him. And there's all these little home groups in, that are what passes for church because that's how they did it in the Jewish tradition. They had synagogues started out as in people's homes. So, that's an amazing noise, Zeke. This original blessing is really <laughs> showing us how it's done. <laughs> At least it's not the eyes. <laughs> oh. So anyway, they have all these these different little groups, and everyone has their own take on who is Jesus and what was his message. And, and some of them, as time goes on, they diverge more and more and more. And so by the time we get to th the 300s, and, and so the Gospels have all been written by then, but not, nothing was written until like the year 70 AD. So you've all played telephone when you were little kids. You know how things get changed. You know how memories differ. And so all of these Gospels have been written with a different point in mind that they are proving through the stories. By the time we get to 300, there's different Gospels, there's different ideas, there are people who need to be brought into the fold. Okay, with Constantine, the Holy Roman Emperor, he's decided he's gonna go with the Christian Church, but he needs to get as many groups in there as possible. This is a totally political act. 
Now, we have some familiarity with Congress and how challenging it is to get a bill passed. This was a congressional act. There's this group over here, and they think this. All right, we'll give you this. We'll let that gospel come into the tradition. We'll, we'll let that belief in. It's just, you know, lots of pork barreling going on here. And they finally come up with something that they have a big enough consensus, and then the others are shut out. They're not what we believe. They're heresies. Okay, now a couple hundred years later, we have a guy named Augustine. Some of you have heard of him. And he's one of the, the great teachers of the church and also a very troubled, pessimistic person, probably suffers clinical de depression if they'd had clinical depression back then. Uh, Matthew Fox that Beth referenced says, he, um, European Christianity tended to exacerbate Augustine's negative attitude about human character. Original sin is an idea that Augustine developed late in his life, and to his credit, it was not all that significant in his theology either. Sad to say, however, original sin grew to become the starting point for Western religion's flight from nature, creation, and the God of creation. So he was the original Eeyore. And he believed that humans were really not good. And they couldn't become good unless God forced them to be good or chose them. So that whole idea that there are some who are the elected and others who are predestined to be damned, that grows out of that thinking. There was another guy, Pelagius, who if you've ever heard of him, you've heard of him as the Pelagian heresy. But Pelagian was actually, he would have been sitting in these seats, or he, actually he would have been up here, but he, he was somebody who believed in the goodness, the original goodness of humanity. And he believed that, yeah, people made choices because we have choice. But he believed that we, when Jesus said, be ye perfect, he meant it's a possibility. He, he believed that we could aspire to radiating the goodness that we innately are, that that was a thing. And do you know why that did not catch on in Christianity for all times? Wait till you hear this, it's amazing. It's actually got to do with bribery. So, the Pope of the time was kind of leaning toward Pelagius. I mean, it was a much more palatable message. You know, you're, you're basically good and you can do better because you've got it in you. Make better choices. That was Pelagius. And over here, Augustine is, no! We're rotten to the core, bad to the bone. We're never going to be good. There's no hope for us. Who wants that message? Well, as it turned out, Augustine was from northern Africa, and he had access to these very fine horses. 
very fine horses. And so he rounds up 80 of these very fine horses and he ships them over to the heads of the cavalry in Rome who use their influence, okay? Just like in political parties, there are groups that have influence. And so they use their influence on the Pope. And the Pope says, all right, all right, we'll go with Augustine. And so that's what happens. And, and then following that, not that long later, is the sack of Rome by the Huns. And so that just, you know, it would be like if suddenly Washington, D.C. was completely wiped off the face of the earth and everything that that represented. We would be in a state of shock, wouldn't we? Because, whoa, how did that happen? And that's how it was for them with a little less, you know, I mean, at least if it happened for us, we, we have the internet, we, we know things are bad, you know. In Rome, they didn't know that. They didn't know there was a world out there with Huns in it, and, and suddenly, Rome is sacked. So it kind of, that put the, the last nail in the coffin in terms of how the thinking went. So that's the short history of what happened. Original sin is not in the Bible. It's not part of the teachings of Jesus. It is not truth. Here, here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not truth. But, but we have grown up believing it to be true. And so we have to reclaim truth. And we have to do the active work of recognizing all those places that it has seeped into our lives and all the ways that we are behaving from that idea. What we teach at Unity is that we are part of the one, the all that is, that is pure light, pure love, pure blessing. And we can look it's just like, think about when you were in middle school and you start getting zits, and you've got a zit. Your whole body and how perfectly wonderful it is has no relevance. You have been reduced to a zit. <laughs> Isn't it true? It's all you can see when you look in the mirror. And even today, when you look in the mirror, do you see the beauty and blessing of who you are? Or do you see the part of your body that you don't like? You know, we tend to see the part we don't like. Or if we're, if we're not so much looking in the physical mirror, but just thinking about ourselves and thinking about our character, our faults, you know, they jump to the front of the line for our attention. Hey, look at me, look at me, look at me. Have you seen me yet? all the things that are wrong with me. It's interesting, I had in one of my classes this last week, um, there was one person, and I don't need to explain the whole thing, but I asked her to tell us, what, what do you love about yourself? And she was able to do it, and she, she got better and better at it, but oh my gosh, the hump that she had to go over 
to be able to say good things about herself was a big one. You know, think about what would happen right now if I called you by name and said, would you come up here and just tell us what is amazing about you? How many of you want to do that, first of all? Raise your hand if you would like me to call on you. <laughs> okay, we've got two volunteers. <laughs> but really, every single one of you is so amazing. Go back to, go back to being that baby. You can't look at a baby and not thinking, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. That's who you are, goodness. And every one of us was that, everyone. And we do not stop being that. Along the way, as we're going through that birth of consciousness and we're exploring, we absolutely make choices that are not for the good of all. And with luck, we learn from those choices. Maybe not, not the first time we do it. Maybe, maybe there's 50 million smacks to the brother before we finally figure out that smacking our brother is not a good idea. You know, we, we make mistakes and we all have our learning curve for how long it will take us. But that's the point. It's discovering that that behavior is not in alignment with who we are. What we did is not who we are. Who we are is pure light, pure love. And there is never, ever going to be anything that will change that. There's the story of the prodigal son. Some of you probably remember it's one of the more well-known stories in the Gospels. But in the prodigal son, a man has two sons. And one of them decides, oh, I'm not going to wait until you kick the bucket. Give me the money now. And so he gets the money from his father and he goes off to the far country where he just blows it all. He's wild women and drink and everything you can think of. And finally, he, he's gone through his entire inheritance. And now his life is a mess, and he's feeding slop to the pigs, and the pigs are eating better than he is. And it occurs to him, well, maybe he could get a job working for his father. Maybe his father would have mercy on him. And he comes back, and the father sees him coming, and he gets so excited and he has a robe thrown around him and kill the fatted calf and have a feast. My son is home. He was lost and now he's found. And that's really a story about consciousness. When we decide that we are separate from all that is represented by the Father and we take off on our own and we try to do things that are not in alignment with the Father, the source of all, then we get the consequences, and they're usually not pretty. And when we return through consciousness to the One, everything begins to work again. That's 
That's the meaning of that story. The teachings of Jesus were all about whatever I've done, you can do this. Look at who you are. When he heals people, he says, your sins are forgiven. Put that behind you. All those choices, no more. Be the light that you are. That's the key. When you get yourself in a situation where you feel like you, you don't have enough, it's, it's about recognizing the measuring stick was an invention. It was an invention born of lack. Am I good enough? Am I too much? Am I not enough? That's the wrong set of questions. Who we are is pure light. And our job is to walk through the world knowing that and seeing that everywhere we turn. We need to see that in each other. We need to see that in our circumstances. We need to see that in our beautiful planet. And as we see it, even if it's just through imagination in the beginning, as we see it, we will create it. Because who we are is the creative light of the universe. Nothing less. Namaste.